if you can, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started in just a moment. And um, I'm really excited to be able to uh, introduce uh, Warren Betcher to to all of you this morning. Warren and Kim Betcher are here this morning. Warren's going to be bringing God's word to us. Warren is the senior pastor of our sister church in Marlton, New Jersey, and um, uh, their church is the church that sent our church out 16 years ago on a church plant to Reading. And so, you know, it's exciting thinking about the way, we, by God's grace, we were able to plant Croatia. And th- this church here invested financially to help get us established here as a church plant in Reading and so that we can continue to preach the gospel here after 16 years. It's wonderful to watch how the gospel has advanced. And I'm so thankful for Warren and Kim being here with us this weekend. I think he's got a really important message on encouragement and the importance of an encouraging culture in the church. Um, and that's going to be a real blessing to us this morning. Um, yesterday, uh, Warren taught our parents um, in the morning for our parenting seminar, but then also our Crossfire teens and Crossfire parents in the evening. So we've really put him and Kim to work this weekend. And um, But they did such an excellent job during question and answer times, during uh, both of those sessions, just sharing their lives, uh, sharing hope in Christ. And, uh, you know, you, if you're around Warren and Kim, it, you recognize that there's you're, you're reminded of just how awesome our God is and, and how no situation is too difficult for him. And one of the things Warren said the other day, and I'll throw this out to all of us, because it was one of the things that really stood out in the parenting seminar was, don't trust in methodology, trust in God. I thought that was so, so poignant and so important for us. And I want to encourage all of you parents, all of you grandparents who are out in the congregation right now, God often handcrafts just the circumstances of our, our family lives. that They press us to our knees and we'll fall to our knees in desperation and cry out to God for grace and um, often we, we cry out, God, please deliver me out from this this difficulty I'm facing with my son or my daughter or my the burden I'm carrying for the souls of my grandkids. Or And um, thank God it's not up to methodology, but it's up to the power of God. And, and there is no situation that is beyond hope. One of the things that affected me about Warren and Kim is that um, and you see this a lot in the culture where a lot of what's talked about is get your kids to 18 years of age, and that's the finish line as a parent. Once you get them to 18, they're good. And uh, then you're done. Your job's done as a parent. I, I've seen Warren and Kim do such an excellent job, brothers and sisters, of just not taking that kind of mentality. They have really sought to build a, a deep friendship and love with their kids, and they they share a, a wonderful friendship and love with their uh, daughters and their sons and their their family. And I was talking with Warren recently over lunch, and he was just explaining to me that him and Kim are, you know, they're carrying burdens on their hearts spiritually for, for one of their children right now who's older and uh, some of the big challenges of faith that one of their children have faced. It wasn't in their early years or even their teen years as much, but actually it's been in their 20s that they've been bombarded by the enemy coming and trying to uh, attack faith and and Warren and Kim have just been there as a faithful mom and dad to just to love uh, their 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 children even into their twenties and thirties and so our, our job as parents really is never done it certainly changes but we won't, we have an influence as parents and as grandparents even into the lives of uh, our children who, some of whom are, are older now and uh, we always want to remember that and we never want to give up praying. We never want to give up influencing for the gospel uh, until our dying breath because it, it is it is so, so important uh, to continue to have vision to invest into the lives of our of our of our children. Warren and Kim have been a mentor to me and my wife Shannon. Um, if, if you feel like you're being blessed within the life of our local church um, and the the gospel culture here, um, it's the grace of God and the grace of God alone. It's also been it's been caught by being around brothers and sisters like Warren and Kim Betcher. And I say that just to uh, let you know that 
um, Shannon and I, John and Kim, we're really grateful for uh, Warren and Kim and the blessing they are to us. And so can we welcome Warren as he comes and just shares God's word with us? Thank you, buddy. You're welcome. Oh, real quick. Um, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. Please don't hold that against him, okay? Because uh, it's been a rough number of years for them. And so we want to have compassion as Eagles fans largely, just because this is our time in the sun. So, brother, we're carrying you on our heart. That is not kind at all. I mean, you know, I'm now patronized, so I have to get over bitterness towards CB. And now all of you don't like me, so I've got to win you back. That's a hard way to start preaching. You know, I look out like, why is everybody so angry? And uh, I was glad that the Eagles did win. So usually I do root against them, I have to be honest, but uh, they're very likable, and uh, so I was glad they, they won. I did root for them in the Super Bowl, um, so I, I want to get that out there. Um, and, and right now, I was going to commend your pastoral team, but but knowing that like that could bring a kiss on the lips, I'm not sure about that anymore. And I'm glad we didn't kiss up here. We're, I went fist bumping. I went far away. Yeah. What if he just did that? You next thing you know, I get a right cross and, and, uh, and, you know, John's gonna kiss me on the neck, so I'm not into that either. So. (laughs) Um, it's been a delightful weekend for my wife Kim and I. I'm so glad she's here. Uh, we love this church. We love you. Um, we love your pastoral team. It was a, a wonderful time to be with parents Saturday morning. Um, and then uh, after that meeting, we went out to lunch as couples. Uh, so John and Kim, CB and Shannon and Kim and I uh, were out together, I think, for three hours in the restaurant. Uh, pure delight. Uh, and there are times there's tears. There's times there's just laughter. Um, you, have, you have godly pastors who love you and love Christ. And that's what stands out. They uh, talk about you with great affection. Um, and that's when you see, you know, what, what's it like when you're not around in places of private? They talk about you with great affection, great, great joy, uh, great desire to serve God with you, to affect this area and beyond. Uh, so really just, just a wonderful time with them. And then last night, uh, just being in your youth parent meeting, your crossfire meeting, uh, that was great. You have a, you have a bright future. As we were watching uh, the kids and hearing them interact with things, seeing the, the worship team lead, it, it was very encouraging. So um, so it's been a delightful weekend for us. We got a walk-in yesterday on our one day of spring this year. Um, so we uh, walked by West Reading Hospital behind. There's a park there along the creek, and we had a, we had a beautiful walk there, walked the whole length of that, and that was really a lot of fun as well. Uh, so it's been it's been a great weekend. So thanks for having us. If you would open up your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three, and we're going to talk about sanctification this morning. And sanctification, just to unpack that word a little bit, it's just it's just how we cooperate with God as His grace works in us to transform us to be more like Jesus. It's just we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit, once you're saved, the Holy Spirit, you know, invades your life and is conforming you to the image of Christ. He's transforming you. There's something, you begin to look different. You know, we, we're in God's family. We start to bear resemblance to God's family. And we start to reflect Christ. And, and you people do say, like, I see, right, I see the family likeness. How often do you see with children, like, oh, I see the family likeness. Well, we begin, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to bear a family likeness with Jesus. And when people see us, they start to say, yeah, I, I see a likeness to Jesus. And that's what sanctification is about. It's us cooperating with great, with God as His grace works to tr- transform us. Now, we have personal responsibility in that, but, and that's not going to be emphasis here this morning, but sanctification also requires the help of others. It's a team effort. Your sanctification, my sanctification, it's a group project. Okay, this is not independent study. This is 
This is a group project. We're in it together. We're working on it together. Um, so this morning, I've entitled this morning's message, Sanctification, a community project. And here's the main point. We need each other. Simple point. Not profound, but true. We need each other to grow more like Christ. So, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 14. Take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. And now bless the preaching of your word. These are your living words. Preserved for us, intended to do us good, not harm. But Lord, for that good to happen, we need your Holy Spirit. We enter weak, maybe distracted, maybe discouraged. So we need your help. So Holy Spirit, please come and help us this morning. Please come and help me to serve these folks whom you have loved with all of your heart, have purchased with your own blood, who have a great, great hope for, and Lord, they have a great future with you. So God, please bless us together. Please strengthen us through your word this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love to do, and now that I've been up here more than once, I'm getting more comfortable, so you're going to start to hear my stories and uh, probably say, oh man, here he goes again. Um, and if I come up enough, you're going to hear hiking stories. I, I love hiking. Uh, I hike a lot. I hike out west. I hiked in Montana, Wyoming, uh, California, Idaho. Um, so I, I've done high hikes and long hikes, backpacking trips in all sorts of places. Of the national parks that I've had the opportunity to visit, I think Yellowstone is my favorite. I love the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone, that section of the country. Uh, and Yellowstone is just a, a tremendous, awe-inspiring uh, park. It's diverse. So there's, there are majestic mountains in Yellowstone that go over 10,000 feet high. There are deep canyons that are spectacular. Uh, there are waterfalls uh, that are cascading waterfalls that take your breath away. I've stood by um, the lower uh, Yellowstone waterfall. And really, right by the edge, there's a fence there. And right by the edge is the water's going over. And it just takes your breath away. And as I'm there with my son, reflecting, I do this when I'm out in nature. I just reflect on God all the time. I'm saying, buddy, think about heaven. Think about heaven. We, my son and I love roller coasters. I said, I think in heaven, we get to go over Yellowstone Falls. I think we get to do like, yeah! You know, we go over. And then we, when we're done, we get to do it again and like run back up the falls and do it again and just start talking about it. It's just a glorious thing. And so there's these beautiful waterfalls. These There's these otherworldly thermals, um, strange colors, strange smells, hot temperatures. Uh, and then there's just diverse wildlife, all sorts of wildlife of which I have seen. But in the park, and most national parks have this, but in the park you also will find warning signs throughout the park. And these warning signs are there to ensure your safety. So there's signs like stay on the boardwalks when you're walking through the hot springs. Don't walk off the boardwalk, stay on the walkway. There's things like stay behind railings around waterfalls and cliffs. Sign I saw seen the sign, don't hike where there's been grizzly activity. And then this one, I think this one we have for you, don't approach buffalo. So if we have this, that's all over the park. Okay, don't approach buffalo. They weigh about 2,000 pounds. They charge, they can run, and they gore people. Um, and that's what happens. So thank you for that. Now, every year, people ignore those signs. Every year. People ignore the signs and at times suffer horrific, horrible consequences. They drown. They fall. Some get boiled. Some get gored. Some get mauled. Every year. We were at Grand Canyon. My wife and I were at Grand Canyon. And, and I think that summer, someone had fallen off a cliff. Had gone up beyond the signs. 
to the edge of something, and guess why they fell? Taking a selfie. Taking a selfie. And they ignored the warning sign. Warning signs are there. Enjoy the park. Don't do this. And I have seen people, I was there, uh, first time we were there, we saw someone walk up about within 10 feet of a buffalo, was laying down to take a picture. And that thing got up and <laughs> moved so quick, because they looked so lumbering, they can move. And people get gored. Because they've ignored the warning signs. Folks, Hebrews 3 is a warning sign given by God to protect us. There's warnings in here. To ignore Hebrews 3 is to, is to willingly walk into danger. It's to think, the sign doesn't apply to me. I can walk over the cliff. I can get near the edge. I can go where there's bears. It's ignoring the warning sign and walking into danger. Now, this text doesn't just warn us. It also gives us guidance and a remedy to danger. So, two points this morning. First, hear the warning. Hear the warning. There's actually three warnings in this. Hear the warning. First warning is this. Sin is serious. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in you, take care, warning, warning sign, age, age appropriate, all ages, take care. It's not like adults listen to sign, children don't have to, or children listen to sign, adults you're mature, warning signs for everybody. Okay? Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, and here's the danger, leading you to fall away from the living God. That is a dangerous thing to fall away from the living God. Sin is quite serious. Paul gives a similar warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul says this, For the love of money, please understand it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. There's a warning. Okay? It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's a warning. If you start to love and trust money, you may walk away. You may fall away. And you will be pierced with many pangs. You might abandon the faith. Wander away from the faith. We know Demas in in the New Testament, for the love of the world, he wanders away. There's something that happens. There's something that actually functions. So sin is serious. That's a warning. There's a second warning in the text. And that's this. Sin is deceitful. Look at verse 13. So it's right here. Take care, lest there be in you any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now number two. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened, by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the warning. Sin is deceitful. So if I were to ask you, how does sin deceive? So sin's deceitful. Okay. This is where we want to stop and pause. Right? You get used to a verse. You just say it. And you lose the meaning of it. It's what we do with sometimes John 3.16. For God so loved the world. He gave His only Son. And we just sort of go fast through it. So it's back very football stadium. It's on bridges. And you just sort of Wait, wait, this is a profound truth, John 3.16. For God, the creator of the world, the independent one, the holy one, loved the world that had rebelled against him. That he gave his only son, the one who all his affections, the also eternal living God. And if we believe in him, we will not perish. Now, let's slow down when you say John 3.16. You know, we've known that so well. Well, here, deceitfulness of sin. Oh, yeah, the deceitfulness of sin. Well, what does that mean? How does sin deceive us? And start thinking through this a little bit. And I think there's a few things. Well, here's one way, and you probably have your own. Here's how I think how sin can deceive us. One way. It's not a big deal. Sort of no harm, no foul. Right? Nobody was hurt by my behavior. And you know, you can always repent. 
which is true, right? You see how sin distorts the biblical truth? Because you can always repent. It's never too late in one sense. But, you know, when you start to think that way, what do you start to do? You minimize sin. Sin's dangerous companion. Dangerous. It's wounding. To you, to others, to the glory of God, to the witness of the church, to the, you know, our being salt and light in the world. So sin's deceived by saying it's not a big deal. You can always repent. How about this? You can always stop. You know, you can sin to a measure and then always pull back. Like, you'll go up to the line, but you can't, you won't cross it. That's how sin deceives. Think about it like addictions. Who, who would ever try to get someone addicted by saying, hey, try this out. It's going to ruin your life, but let's just put it, you know, there's no truth in advertising when it comes to addictions. It's sold with, do this, drink this, take this, and you'll have friends and life's a fun. And, you know, they don't show the other side of people who are struggling with addiction who are like, I want to stop and now I can't. It's got a chain around my neck. Right? Oh no, I can control it. I've had people say, I can stop anytime I want. Okay, well then stop. <laughs> oh, not as easy as I thought. And not just talking about addictions, folks. Any sin. You know, you start to give sin an inch, what? It wants a mile. I think it was John Owen or, or Thomas Watson talked about sins when they're first exposed are you know, when you first pull them up, when they're first there, they're easy to pull. But the longer that you let them remain, the more deeply rooted they get. And then the pull becomes, oh my, this is a little bit harder. Because sin sends roots. Shoots out. It's not contained. It's an imperious power. It wants authority and control. Because Satan wants authority and control. And Satan hates your soul. We don't have to be afraid of Satan, but he hates you. We should know we have a true enemy. So, here's how sin's deceitful. It's not a big deal. You can always stop. Or, here's how sin's deceitful. Just live for the moment. Grab the gusto. Live for today. Sinclair Ferguson, in a great book called Devoted to God, said the following, Trace the pattern of sin in the lives of the characters described in the Scriptures. You cannot avoid noticing that they do not see far enough or think clearly enough about their decisions and actions. From Eve in the Garden of Eden, through David on the rooftop of his Jerusalem palace, to Demas, the erstwhile companion of Paul, they thought, what now, rather than what then? What now? I want this now. I want this now. And you know who, biblically, where this is captured so well? So we're in Hebrews 3, but if you went to Hebrews 11, listen to what it says in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. See what the, how the story of Moses would have been different? If I'm looking for now, I got Egypt. And I got Egypt at my fingertips. I am royalty in Egypt. I have power in Egypt. I have all the pleasures of Egypt. I have all the prestige of Egypt. I've got Egypt. No, no. I'm going to leave Egypt and approach the, the, take on the reproach of the people of God Because I'm looking to a future. Not now. Sin deceives us by saying just, it's today. Today. It's just today. Live for the moment. But here's, I think, the most serious way that sin deceives us. I think this is the most serious and grievous. It tells us this, there's something more enjoyable than God. There's something more enjoyable to God than God. It's a deception. Satan led them away in the garden. There's something better than God. There's something better than living under God's rule in God's presence. 
You be the arbitrator of right and wrong. You be the commander of your soul. This is your life. God's holding back. He's not that good. And they lost the fellowship with God. And that's what sin does. It disrupts fellowship. There's something more enjoyable than God. And we need to watch that. That's how sin's deceitful. So sin, so when we look at these warning signs, hear the warning. First, sin's serious. Secondly, sin is deceitful. Third, sin hardens. Again, in verse 13. Be careful. Encourage one another. Exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today. Seems to be urgency and consistency in that. That none of you may be hardened. So, sin's dangerous. Sin's deceitful. And third warning sign, sin hardens. Sin dulls the conscience. And don't we get good at making excuses? You know, I never had to treat, teach any of my children to make an excuse for their sin. You know, like I never had to say, now look, you need to learn how to defend yourself. You know? I mean, growing up, this was one of my... This was one of my great gifts in school. You know, and I actually thought, uh, and, and really, and it is to my shame, although it's got a humorous side to it, in my yearbook, okay, my senior yearbook, my wife, would, we went to high school together, she'll vouch to this, I can show you it. In my yearbook, it says this phrase, can talk his way out of anything. And I used to think, like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I am a 10-talent talk-your-way-out-of-anything Christian. You know, like that's a gift, and I'm just multiplying it. And uh, you know what that really says is I know how to manipulate and lie well. I know how to manipulate people. I know how to find lines and grayness. I know how to, well, that, when you start to say manipulate, lie, it doesn't sound so cool in your yearbook anymore. You know, I knew how to make defenses. Okay, can you prove this point? I can now present, you're judging my heart, you can't see my heart. I, I, that, that came natural. Being honest didn't come natural. That's a sanctification moment where I can be honest right now or I can play the politician. I can live in the technicalities or I can actually be honest with my heart. Which will it be? Those things rage. I need the Holy Spirit in those moments. I really do. Because it's easy to make excuses. And sin hardens, it dulls the conscience. We get good at developing excuses. You go from a tender heart to a casual heart to a calloused heart. Tender heart? This where, uh, you know, oh, Lord, so precious to me. I would never want to greet him to, you know, we're under grace. It's all okay. To, that eh, doesn't really matter. And if you don't think that's true, think about the first sin. Adam sins. And what's he do? He blames God for giving him Eve. That's a heart that's getting hard. <laughs> I mean, right away. Well, it's not my fault. It's your fault. And actually, you know who he blames? God. It's your fault. That's hard. Think about David. David, the singer of songs, the poet of Israel, the worshiper, the king, right? The anointed one to be king of Israel. All these things about David, a man after God's own heart. What if we see David? At one point he's on a rooftop and he starts to lust. He goes from lust to adultery. From adultery to trying to cover up his adultery. From failing to cover up his adultery to murder. And from murder to self-righteousness. By the time Nathan approaches David, at that point, it's a pretty calloused heart. You remember how Nathan approaches him? There's one man that had a hundred sheep, another man only had a little lamb, and this man who had the hundred took the man who only had one little lamb killed that little lamb. David, who's that man? He's going to die today. And then Nathan, thou art the man. Now you know what God does in that? He rescues the son he loves. He rescues the one he loves. 
He preserves the Davidic line for a Savior to come because we need a Savior to rescue, be rescued from the sins we love and from how those sins can harden our hearts and how we need someone radically, we need the Holy Spirit radically come in and say, Thou art the man. Thou art the woman. Thou art the team. And please see God's rescue in that. So God rescues that hard heart. But David, lust, adultery, murder, cover-up, self-righteousness. Sin was having a disastrous, devastating effect. You just wonder, what were David's times? With, did he just stop even trying to talk to God in that time? <laughs> or was he deceived that none of that mattered and nobody saw? That's where sin deceives we saw, I'm still king. Nobody ever threw me. Bathsheba's not saying anything. I'm good. Hardened. Deceived. In danger. And then God, with great grace, rescues him. Restores him. Imagine David's heart and psalms that came out of that. Like Psalm 51. Beautiful psalm reflecting on God's rescue of a man called by God, loved by God. So here's a couple questions for you in this first point. Do you grieve over your sin or do you defend it? Do you grieve or do you defend? Second question is this. Do you resent questions about your sin or maybe just do you resent questions and correction? When people are bringing observations, you resent that. But that doesn't mean people are always right what they're bringing and asking. But boy, may we see God's grace in that. May we see God's rescue to us when people come to us with concern. Here's what will come natural. Defensiveness. Here's what spirit and power, humility. Here's what doesn't lead to life. Defensiveness. Here's what does lead to life. Humility. Grace. Joy. Restoration. So let's embrace that. So folks, let's hear the warning sign. Secondly, second major point, let's embrace the remedy. Now, this is not the only remedy to sanctification. This is maybe not even the most important remedy, but it, it is an essential remedy to the problem of sin, to this problem of, of these warnings. What's the remedy of this? The remedy we find in verse 13 is the remedy to this. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Exhort one another. Maybe your Bible says encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. See, here's the point. Relationships are vital to Christian growth. They are not Separate from, they are not just sort of out there as an optional add-on. This is not when you're buying a car, you know, what's the options package? You know, do I want, I want a car with an engine and tires that goes. But do you want these options? Well, yes or no. This is not optional. This is like, yeah, I want a car with an engine, but I don't need tires. You might say that the engine is more important than the tires. It's more valuable. It really makes it go. But, you know, you probably need tires. And you wouldn't say, I'll just take three. That's pretty good. Yeah, I got three out of four, 75%. That's a good deal. Now, that, it's not optional. One may be more important, but this is not optional. <laughs> okay? You don't need a windshield to drive. I got an engine. I got a seat. I got a, dry, a steering wheel. I got tires. I can go. But boy, I'm, you know, eating bugs and now I walk out and people look and say, whoa, your face is horrific looking. And, you know, it's, it's not the most important thing, but it's essential. Relationships are essential. Relationships are essential so that we don't fall into these dangers, that we don't ignore the danger signs. Relationships are vital to Christian growth. Listen to what John Calvin said. Unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged, it lies dormant. Unless it is warmed, it grows cold. Unless it is aroused, it gets numb. 
The writer of Hebrews, therefore, wishes them to stimulate one another by mutual encouragement so that Satan will not steal into their heads and by his falsehoods lead them away from God. Our faith needs to be regularly encouraged. So, encourage one another every day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you know that name at all, pastor, loved his church during Nazi Germany and prior to World War II and went back to pastor's church, was eventually arrested, killed for his faith, wrote a great book, The Cost of Discipleship, other great stuff as well. Read his biography by Eric Metataxis, phenomenal biography. In a book called Life Together, here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself. And here's here's that in the vernacular. Being alone in your own head isn't a good thing. We don't really have a beautiful mind. We, we have a confused, messy, a bit dark mind. If everybody could see everything going on in your mind, it would be a scary thing. But what happens when we fall? We, we fall in sin. What do you do? You live internally, don't you, a bit? You start to mull it. What's this mean? You start to think through it. I think privacy comes natural to most of us. Community doesn't. So we need to think about that. Being alone in your head can be a very bad place to be. I need other voices. See, the recipients of this letter in Hebrews, they were drifting from the one another's. Right? They were getting to forsake the meeting together. So the writer exhorts them, do not forsake meeting together. Encourage one another all the time. Even more as you see the day approaching. Even more. Not less. We're not supposed to know. Hopefully Christians will stop predicting this. You know, the Lord's coming next week. You know, and all these different times where the Lord's been predicted where He's going to be coming. And I hope we learn from how often that's been foolishly shared. And But what if we did know? You know what the Lord would say? Well, don't stop meeting together. And boy, you want to encourage one another even more if you see that day coming. Even more. Not less. Why? Because we need one another. People in this church, these, these believers being addressed here, it seems like drift was becoming a habit. Not getting together was becoming a habit. Brothers and sisters, preaching and knowing sound doctrine is essential. Preaching is essential for your sanctification. I absolutely believe that. I believe that's biblical. It's not because of the gift of the preacher. It's because the preacher has God's Word in front of him. And God's words are living, they're active, they're, they're Him speaking. And we handle it. So this is, this is the most important meaning of the work. The corporate gathering of people to sing praises to God, to sing those praises one to another as they're hearing one another, singing out loud truths about God. We hear one another, we're encouraging one another. And we sit under the preaching of God's words. Why? There's expositional preaching in this church and sound doctrine. It's crucial. And the end times, remember, many are going to find teachers just to suit their ears. And they're going to wander in the mist. Find people. This, this strokes me. This is what I need. And they'll, they'll fall away from sound expositional preaching and sound doctrine. Thank God that your church isn't like that. Preaching and sound doctrine are essential, but they're not enough. This meaning is the most important meaning, I believe, of your week. But it's not the only meaning. And it's not sufficient. If you're new here, thank you for being here. If you're not plugged in yet, don't sit there. Man, CB brought this guy in. I know CB's talking to me about getting involved. This guy's just talking at me. Telling me to get involved. No, thank you for being here. It takes time to get to know people. You want to trust. You want to say, you know, is this church preaching God's Word? Do they love the Gospel? Do they love each other? You know, do they really see themselves as just humble sinners forgiven by God? Are they in love with Jesus? Are they really faithful to Scriptures? That's fine. That takes time. CB would say they're not the only church in the Reading area. It's not their good churches. If it's not here, he'll recommend other places you might be able to go. But wherever you go, you need to be in. 
You need to be all in. And that involves relationships. Why? Because you need relationships and someone needs your relationship. You need to be ministered to and you need to minister. You need to be discipled and disciple. We do this life together. It's essential. It really is essential. Sanctification is a group project. Individualism or isolation are unbiblical and dangerous. It may be American, the rugged individualism, but it's not biblical. It may sound heroic. I don't need anybody. I take responsibility. Good, to some degree. But actually, probably that attitude shows you don't take responsibility and you do need someone. R.C. Sproul said this, dear brother who went to be with the Lord last year, it is both foolish and wicked to suppose we will make much progress in our sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the local church. Folks, we are called to live life together, but I think there's challenges that cause us to drift. So what what's challenging to live life together? In this church. Probably some of the same things that are challenging for my church. One, we live in the suburbs. Proximity can be a challenge. Right? You have small group meetings. They meet in the middle of the week. Do you walk to the person's house? Probably not. You gotta get in a car. You gotta drive. You gotta go there. And then you gotta get back in your car and drive home. And you work today and you work tomorrow. And you're like, I'm just tired. Folks, I lead our care group and I don't want to go. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, we got to go out again tonight. I am so tired. I just got home. When I'm home, I want to be home. I'm like, I, I got to go because I'm leading the meeting. <laughs> and here's what, I don't know that I ever sit there and say, I can't wait to go. Here's what I always do at the end. I'm glad I was here. Didn't want to go. Glad I was here. Can I point to one community group meeting? I can remember some community group meetings like, wow. But can I point to one like, that community group meeting changed my life? No. But you know what? A hundred of them have. Might take you a hundred. Because you know what I change? I don't change leaps and bounds. I'm not Superman. Leaps and bounds. He, the sin of, you know, the building of sin. He just leaps over it. <laughs> Faster than a speeding bullet. He just, that's how fast his sanctification goes. Phew, man, sanctified. I'm like this, degree by degree. You know? Aren't I growing? Isn't this exciting? How long should I do this illustration? Yeah, we got it, Warren. Move on. Right? But you know what? I started here. You noticing me growing? But you know what? I'm growing. One meeting after another. One meeting after another. Suburbs, I think, presents a challenge. I gotta get back in my car and I gotta drive somewhere. One of the things that we planted a church in South Philadelphia, um, and one of the things they love, they love proximity in the city. One of the reasons they went, they, you know, it's much easier to live community in the city. They love it. That church is growing to 170 people. They all live within like six block radius. So when they do community outreach, that's the community they live in. They love it. They love it for fellowship. They love it for community. They love it for evangelism. I said, yeah, you know what? There's something really good about that. Let's, let's get to the point where we're planting churches in every town. And now your care group might only be two blocks away. Wouldn't it be a great thing? Yeah, but you know, we got to overcome the challenge of proximity. That challenge of the suburbs. How about busyness? That's a challenge. Jobs. And I think one of the things that, in the modern American parent, if you're a parent, the busyness of your kid. There are endless things for kids to do now. I mean, growing up for us, playing Little League was, I walked up to the park, I got there on my own, I went on my own, it was just me, my glove, and you know, there, and Dad showed up occasionally for games at night. 
it, you know, that's now it's, oh man, we're travel teams and there's hit doctors and coaches and we got, you know, bags of, you know, the best gear in the world. I mean, now it's like, you know, you give your kids every opportunity to do everything they can do so they can be all they can be. And meanwhile, you're running ragged and you're not living biblical priorities. You're living, like can be living a child-centered life. Now, please hear this. My kid was in Little League, played football. We did that stuff. We loved it. We were talking about that. Like We loved this time of year. Was just sitting on a Saturday, sitting in the stands, watching my son play Little League baseball. Sitting on a Saturday in the fall, watching my son play football. But we didn't let our kids' schedules run our life or violate our priorities. I'm first committed to Christ. I'm first committed to community. I'm committed to other things. Because I don't want to drift. And there's no guarantee I won't. Because pastors do not get special dispensation that, oh, you're a pastor, you won't drift. Read the headlines. Pastors that live an independent life don't always do well or end well. If there's a running theme, a common theme, the guy was alone or the guy was above everybody. No peers that said, not impressed with you. What I love about these brothers, they're brothers first. There's a relationship and identity that functions and drives. So it's not, well, senior pastor or associate pastor, and boy, you better be careful in that because that's got... No, no, they're brothers first. I know John. John would speak the truth. He knows God's no respecter of persons. That's what motivates that. He knows he's supposed to love his brother. There's convictions, biblical convictions, that motivate that. There's convictions that motivate why I go to small group, why I don't want to, when I don't want to go. There's convictions that drive that. Not because that's our church practice. That's not what motivates it. Well, okay, you know, this church, we have community groups. If you want to be a member, you got to be part of it. That's not what drives that. There's a conviction. I need someone else to grow in sanctification. Therefore, I have to inconvenience myself at times to develop that relationship. I have to walk through challenges at times to develop that relationship. I have to do it when I don't want to do it. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So busyness can interfere. Kids' activities can interfere. Pride can interfere. I don't need anyone. Fear can interfere. How will people people judge me? If you're new here, I don't believe you'll be judged. You'll be like, will I be safe here? This church is full of people who are saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm amazed that God loves me. <clears throat> so you think you, if God could save me, look, he could save anybody. You're probably way ahead. That, that's probably the interactions you're going to get here. Hey, can I tell you how I messed up? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can give you my testimony too. And that's really what matters. What matters is, how great God's love is, not how great our sin has been. You know, because all sin is greatly evil. Regardless of one of us did 10% more than someone else, well, before God, it's all pretty bad. And he forgave it all. So pride, fear, disappointments. Relationships can disappoint us. What do you do when a relationship disappoints? Okay, well, I'm not playing anymore. I'm taking my ball home and I'm not playing. (laughs) I don't know. Stay in the game. You just got to stay in the game. Because you know what? You disappoint. How do you want people to react to you if you disappoint them? You don't want them to give up. Think the best about one another, right? Stay in it. Think the best. Forgive well. Love well. Be patient well. Just, yeah, we're in it together. We're, if we're messy people, if we actually have a confessional where we say, we're people that still have dwelling sin, guess what? It means it's going to function. <laughs> We can't say that and say, oh yeah, we still believe in indwelling sin and God's, it's progressive sanctification. But boy, we never have a problem in our church. Wow, that means you're almost a church that doesn't believe in progressive sin. Because <laughs> I don't know who sins here. And if you sin, someone's disappointed. Maybe a phone call's not returned. Maybe you were hurting, you didn't get a follow-up call. But how do you walk through that? We all got to walk through those things. So disappointments, selfishness, those things can all function. So listen to God's word. Exhort one another daily, day by day. As long as it's called today. Do this every day. Do it every day. In Hebrews 10, it talks about how to consider one another up, to, to stir one another up, to do uh, good deeds, you know, to be intentional and thoughtful. 
Encourage all the more. Folks, this is what you're trying to build in your community group, care group ministry. That's, this is the, these are the biblical foundations undergirding that practice. That's where it comes from. These kinds of verses and many other verses in scripture. See, really what you're doing is you're fulfilling Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Love this verse. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ there is love one another. Right? Bear one another's burdens. So there seems to be a scripture mandate that one, you need to, you need to be helping someone bear their burdens and two, you probably need some burdens you need help bearing. We're givers and receivers in that. And we're just fulfilling that. So five questions. I'm getting no close here. Five questions to consider. Five questions I want you to think about. Number one, are you plagued with discouragement or doubt? Are you plagued with discouragement or doubt? Do you live with a sense of low-level guilt or unbelief? I think a lot of Christians do. Other people are better than I. Boy, if people really knew me, I'm just a mess. If people just knew that. And you live with a low-level sense of guilt or unbelief. So are you plagued with discouragement or doubt? If you are, you need someone else. And guess what? Someone else is, which means they need you. Are you, second question, are you comfortable with complacency? There was a time when you were zealous for God. Maybe it was early in your Christian walk. Maybe it was when you first came to the church and this church was planted. Man, we were just zealous. And now it's like, man, it's some, it's time for someone else. You, there was a time you were zealous, but not so much now. You're a little bit more complacent. Zeal was the thing of the past. Have you grown casual with sin? And here's what I mean. You avoid scandalous sin. So I'm not talking about scandalous sin. But you're okay with common sins. What Jerry Bridges calls respectable sins. It's a great book. Have you grown casual with sin? Number four. Has your joy in Christ diminished or grown cold? Has your joy in Christ diminished or grown cold? And number five, are you comfortable being anonymous? See, this church is bigger now. It's probably easier. Our church is bigger. It's easier. When the church is small, you know everybody. And you know when they're not here. Like, And you have like laser like, where were you? How are you doing? Please come back. And, and then you get bigger. <laughs> it's easier to just be a little bit more anonymous. Your community group gets bigger. Your care group gets bigger. It can be more, a little bit more anonymous in it. I don't have to really be transparent in it. So are you comfortable being anonymous? Folks, if any of those are true of you, it just says, I need someone. And by the way, I think you probably know someone that one of these questions is functioning for them. So how are you going to care for them? How are you going to carry one another's burdens? God gives us brothers and sisters to protect us. To protect us. To help us grow. That's what He does. And to help us to finish well. I'll give you a final quote here from Richard Phillips. In his commentary on Hebrews. He says this, Christian fellowship, including prayer, Bible study, and meaningful friendship, is a great bulwark against sin's deception. In such companies, the arguments of sin lose their force. And we are strengthened in faith and obedience. Our goal to persevere to the end and enter into God's rest. And our strategy is mutual watchfulness. What a worthy cause that is. It is worth inconvenience. Relationships will have inconvenience. It's worth giving up some leisure time. It's worth real sacrifice. And by the way, loving anybody requires real sacrifice. And will repay the dividends of eternal life. Are you embracing this? This exhortation to do this. Encourage every day to do life together. As God's will for you and as God's care for you. And as your responsibility to others. We need each other to grow 
and to finish well. Let's pray. Lord, these are the precious ones before me right now, the precious ones to you, whom you've made precious through the blood of your Son. God, I pray that you would bless this church. Lord, that their love for one another would grow and not grow cold. That their unity together would be strengthened, even in adversity. That their commitment to preach and demonstrate the gospel would be strong. Lord, their desire to carry one another's burdens and care for one another so they would grow to be more like Christ and be transformed into the image of the glory of God be a passion. So Lord, bless these folks. Bless this church, God. May Your Spirit empower them to live for You with all their hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. I love the uh, opening illustration of enjoy the park, heed the warning signs. Wasn't that so good? Just they go together and, and, uh, it's not just one or the other saying enjoy the park, enjoy the park, enjoy the park, enjoy the park. No. Or heed the warning signs, heed the warning signs, heed the warning signs. It's no. Enjoy the park and heed the warning signs. That, that's the Christian life and we want to look at those signs that say don't don't cross over this line as a real kindness from God to us. And Warren, thank you so much for just reminding us of just the importance of taking Hebrews chapter 3 uh, and the one another's uh, seriously. Those The challenges were so good, weren't they, church? I mean, couldn't we all relate to what Warren was talking about there of the challenges to um, encouraging one another daily um, proximity. And that's a major one for our church. We've got people coming all the way from Pottstown, all the way way out into Myerstown and Lancaster, deep into Lancaster. And, you know, it, it, that's a challenge for us. And I think it takes real commitment. It takes real sacrifice. Um, and I want to thank you, church, for all that you are doing with that. But I think the Holy Spirit's wanting us to improve, isn't he? He's wanting us to really take stock of where, you know, sometimes we can be a little apprehensive about getting more plugged in because, you know, we, we, we can really fear that we're going to get hurt or maybe you've been hurt in the past. You might get hurt again. And Warren just did such a great job reminding us, you know what? Yeah, we are. We're going to get disappointed. We're going to get hurt, but that's no reason to not obey the word of God um, simply because we're going to get let down by other people. We, we want to continue to press into these things because they're convictions from scripture, not because they're necessarily convenient. I love the way Warren just reminded us that, you know, fellowship at times is just inconvenient, but it's, but it's the best thing for our souls. And when your flesh is fighting you with it, uh, I want to encourage you. I love how Warren said that I'm leading a meeting and I don't want to go to it. You know, I love his honesty there. We've all been there and we all wrestle with that, don't we? I mean, it's so much easier to hang in and with the family and just kind of kick back and, uh, you know, watch TV for the night, and not get back in the car after you've gotten in from a really uh, busy, busy day. But the reality of it is I love when he was saying that about the one foot in front of the other. And that's where sin's deceitful. You know, if we stop kind of putting one foot in front of the other and we're just like, you know what? I missed that meeting and now I missed two. Now I missed a month. Now I missed two months. Now I'm starting to slowly drift. The enemy's real crafty like that. It's just, it, you don't notice it with just missing one meeting or two and, but it's more like six months. Where, where have I gone? Where have I drifted? And you don't really notice drift very well. And that's where the enemy's real crafty is that, we often don't perceptibly see the difference one care group makes, but I love that illustration that a hundred care groups does change me for the better in Christ. And I think let us all Christ community, I think uh, let's really take stock of this. We want to encourage all of you who are regular attenders in our church to, uh, to really 
come and be a part of our care group fellowships, please um, contact the care group leaders of the care groups you want to visit ahead of time in order to serve those uh, care group leaders and wives who are having, opening up their homes hospitably. Um, we want to encourage you to plug into the church and to not be somebody who hides from fellowship. Um, we can all relate to that temptation, but we really want to be a church that really walks in Hebrews chapter 3, encouraging one another daily um, as long as it is called today so that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let it be, and, and this is where I, I think you really thrive, church, every day, text messages, uh, private messages on Facebook, um, I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture for you, brother. Here's a scripture for you, sister. Uh, I was, I'm praying for you through the night and reaching out. And I just love how that really abounds in the life of our church. Let it abound more and more as the day of judgment approaches. Um, sanctification is a community project. We really need each other, don't we, in order to run the race all the way to the end. Um, we cannot make it um, on our own. God has designed our Christian life to be really interdependent upon one another in the body of Christ um, in order to cross over the finish line and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I have no doubt, you know, and I pray, you know, that day arrives. And when I hear well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord, which is what I long to hear, you know, it's going to be wonderful. I believe in heaven. There's going to be a real sense in that moment that I, I made it here thanks to God alone but also the means of grace in my life that God has used. And that's all of you, uh, my wife, Shannon, my children, but not just my family, all of you. And so Christ community, thank you for your love for Christ, your devotion to him, your commitment to Christ, your commitment to our church. Let's step into this with fresh force and vigor. Let's identify the challenges that are facing each one of us the shyness, the timidness, the, the particular battles are different for each one of us, but let's meet them head on and recognize that the enemy is really going to try to rip us apart slowly, one bit by bit at a time, and let, let's really not be unaware of his schemes. Let's bind ourselves together. Let's trust God together, and let's encourage one another daily um, because we really do need each other, don't we? Yeah, that was an outstanding message, Warren. Thank you so much, brother. Can we thank Warren and Kim again for coming? And yeah. Let, let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for this wonderful day and this opportunity to worship you. Lord, help us, Lord, uh, through the years to not drift, uh, to not uh, be um, allured by the fleeting pleasures of sin by this world. And as Warren mentioned, it's it's all over the news. We see individuals who, who were running for so long and, and ignored the warning signs, God. And there are significant consequences of men and women all over the pages of scripture, but all over the, the, the body of Christ today that, that Lord are, are, are drifting and have drifted. And Lord, it really has hurt their, their relationship with you. God, would you please protect us as a local church family? Lord, help us to be strong in these things for your glory. And, and Lord, I pray that it would never be about sort of, well, this is what we do at Christ Community. This is just the way we roll. Or, but, Lord, that it all flows out from biblical convictions, from passages like Hebrews 3 that drive us, that can, uh, cause us with real courage and conviction to step into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ in order to encourage them and be encouraged ourselves. Um, thank you so much for sending your own son to die on the cross. Like Warren said from John 3.16, thank you so much that you rescued David when he was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And God, we recognize in David's story our own rescue. God, we would not be here this morning if it hadn't been for your persistent grace that leaves the 99 and goes after the one wandering sheep. I am here right now because of that persistent grace that loves with a steadfast love and will never let us go. We're so thankful for the way you have kept drawing us back and you've protected us from drift. Almighty God, would you please continue to protect us? We know you will, but we ask, would you please protect us? 
Lord, I pray that not one of us as, as your people, as your sheep would wander off, but that you would protect us all as parents, as teens, as, as, as children, as, as, as every saint in this room. I pray that we would make it all the way to the end and we would cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I ask that for all of us. And I just thank you so much for the, just the means of grace. The preaching of your word is into our souls to help us like it was this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we're so thankful that you died for us to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nobody I'd rather be walking out the Christian life with, Christ community, than you all. Thank you so much. Um, have a wonderful week. Be praying for John and I and, and pray for our wives and our kids this week as well. I know you will be. So love you. Have a great week. If you get a chance to come up and introduce yourself to Warren, I would love for you to meet Warren and Kim. They're awesome friends, and I want them to get to know all of you if I can help it. So have a great day. God bless you.